Hey guys. We don't need it. <laughs> One, two, three. I want to know about John's coat. My coat? All I want to know about is John's coat right now. Yeah, the one that everyone keeps saying is a robe. It's it. it oh, I mean, it's just jacket. it's just a sweater, and that I've had for a while. And since it's cold in Michigan, I've been putting it on. I've been and I've been doing the college professor thing of putting like a very nice T-shirt under it. This one is a, a bass playing samurai. Dude, that's wow. Yeah. Hey, where's so, your, where is your scarf? My scarf. Where's your scarf? Yeah, we don't have that. Like from Boston, scarf. Yeah, what's your yeah, scarf? Come on, you need a scarf with that. Maybe that'll be next season. You have a Hugh Hefner vibe going on right now. Yes, you do. <laughs> we just need Jen around you in the background. Sorry, Jen. <laughs> yeah. Thing is, you know, she would totally play up to it. Oh, I I know she would, yeah. and then she'd she'd yell at me in person. <laughs> Yeah, that, that'd be it. Yeah, I know. And you'd have to wear the helmet to protect yourself from getting hit in the head. Right. Hey, if you want to see the helmets, folks, all right, you have to wait till the end of the video, okay? Till the end. Oh, no, no, Steve. No showing the helmet early. Nope, don't be a tease. Don't, don't be a, don't be a tease. tease. No showing the helmet early. You know what happens when you... They didn't, you, didn't get, you didn't get dinner yet. That's Don't show helmet right away. Could be a new T-shirt. No show helmet early. <laughs> Don't show your helmet early. That's that's. I like that title. You know. So Dig by Terry was, I think the the record's called um, Helmet. Java Spice Chronicles. But I kind of like Don't show your helmet. Don't show your helmet early. Don't show your helmet early. It's yeah. you can't prematurely show the helmet. Yeah. So. All right. All right um. So yeah, this we is have Rodney today. Rodney McGee, yep. Rodney McGee. McLaughlin. A great guy. So, mm -hmm. so what great episode? Player. We need the ep we need the intro. This is Double Deuce, episode twenty-two. Twenty-two of the big. Yeah. Where if it was an age, there's really nothing exciting about turning twenty-two. Yeah. We're just waiting three more episodes until we can get really cheap car insurance or can rent cars. Or rent cars. That changes everything. That changes everything. When you can rent cars and your insurance goes down, boy, Wait, it's you nice. You have to be 25 to rent? Most yeah. places. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, and the insurance going down is bullshit. That doesn't happen when you're 25. That yeah, does. In Massachusetts, it does. Mm -hmm. In Michigan, it goes Michigan. down quite a bit. Maybe I just am a troubled child and they never gave me the... You live in California. Everything's expensive over there, There's Steve. another set of rules in California, my friend. As we're finding out. Steve, let's see the shirt. It's, it's jujitsu. So we all have our wardrobe today. Mm -hmm. Jiu-Jitsu. John has the hue coat on, right? And Tony, Troy Lee Designs. That's a cool... Nice. Now, is that one of your jerseys, riding jerseys? It's a riding jersey, yeah. Thought to wear just because. <laughs> well, maybe it's cold and he wanted to do it. Maybe it's cold. I'm, maybe it's I'm, so here's the deal place. about these. I wear these all the time out now. Is it 51 degrees in your place and you don't? It was 51 uh, yesterday, uh, earlier today. Oh. 
Mm-hmm. And then what is the temp right now? Hold on, I want to tell you right now. Are you blasting? I'm like head? I'm like the old man. How do I find this temperature on this on this, this? The Weather Channel? Yep. Um, are you blasting your heater in your house? Nope. It is 46 out there right now. Yeah, we're sitting at 40. Uh, it's, it's pretty eight. freaking cold over here, guys. Oh, I'm sure. Where is it at? 72, Steve? 54. Outside, <laughs> 71 inside. I have no idea what the temperature is inside, but well, outside seven, it's 46. I'm 71. I have 71 because I have my heater on. Oh. You have your heater on. Of course I do. Yes. 54. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wearing a long sleeve and an undershirt. Excuse me. Because I'm cold. John! (laughs) Freezing! What do you have to say about this, John? He would die. I would die. Either of our states. Just die. (laughs) He would get out out of the plane. It'd be like this. Oh, welcome to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then I would shatter. <laughs> and, and, and I've traveled. I've been all over. I, I'm telling layer, 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 layer. I just, in co- uh, yeah. What's the coldest worrying. place you've ever been to? You would show up to our place, Tony, dressed like the younger brother in Christmas Story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally would. Yeah. <laughs> I would. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in cold places. I've been Where? in Lake Louise, Canada, midwinter. That's pretty cold. I mean, I guess maybe Canada. Yeah. No, what do you mean maybe Canada? It's 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 Banff. Banff. Ooh, you went up there. I went up to Banff, Lake Louise. Gorgeous. What was the temp? What was the temp? It was fucking winter. It was like fucking snow everywhere. Below thirty-two. I mean, it was cold. <laughs> it was cold, man. I I'm not. I am not built for cold. Just not. This is what it is. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. We won't really judge you. Really? Much. No, I don't care. I yeah, don't care. My, well, my well-being is more important than what people's opinion of is. Okay. Is yeah. Of me? Yeah. Anyway. It's okay. It's, it's all right, Steve. All right. <laughs> so, so we had Rodney on oh, today. We have a cool. sponsor that will help keep us warm. Yes. Uh, Donnie Brook Coffee. Uh, now, Eric, I'm apologize. I have the bags upstairs, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll all be showing the bags and the logo on here. And uh, Donnie Brook Coffee out of Peabody, Massachusetts. And how, uh, how's that spelled? D O N N Y? Donnie? Yeah, yeah. Donnie Brook. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Donnie Brook Coffee. Okay. Donnie Brook. Another, another musician. Nice. Coffee guy, yeah. Even so, better. Nice. Yeah. And we'll uh, put pictures and links. I'll hunt them down little website but they're a new sponsor we love it man i can't wait to park. oh yeah that. coffee on the way to these guys boom nice john and steve so i can Fantastic. be warm and not freeze to death in 71 degree heat in my house <laughs> <laughs> no but that was fun Roddy mcgee great mm-hmm. guy uh does a fantastic job showcasing bases but in the middle i think he's got one of the most interesting channels out there on youtube right now yeah well the cool thing is in the metal realm like that's he's found his niche there you know and he does a fucking great job man for actual metal um you know i think he's like really one of the top guys i really do and what's funny is 
I'm about to say something like a contradictive statement. I don't like a lot of distortion and overdrive on bass. Only preference that is I am a dark glass artist, but I use it in a very particular way. I love their pedals, but I use it extremely light, just a little bit of like, uh, I feel uh, too much of a good thing is, you know, it's just, it's killing. It's like, okay, well, you know, we don't, let's put sugar in the red sauce. You know what I mean? Like, pour a bag in it. You know, no, 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 no. So uh, a lot of people kind of abuse it. And he is one of the players that I think is extremely tasteful with overdrive, man. He, he understands is, it. He gets it, you know? He really, because I'm on the other, I, I don't use it and it's not my thing, but I respect it. It's like, wow, that's, that's yeah. good, you know? does a great job with it, man. It's great. And his videos are always great. They sound great. They look great. I mean, for me, that's just production value. It's like, again. He's well-spoken and he explains yeah, everything. Don't just take your mm -hmm. fucking phone and expect it to sound good just with that. Like, put some effort. And he's really put effort, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like the smirking. So, yeah, I put effort. Like, try to get better. Try to be good. And he, and he does a great job with it So in all aspects. I like that. <laughs> well, um, I guess on with the show here, right? Okay. Show people. All right, that's it. Uh, Big Bottom. I'll Big start. Bottom. Do do. Uh, Tony Paleo. John Moody, A.K.A. Yeah, J Mod. <laughs> J Mod. What? J Mod is is your is your is your professor look? You know, <laughs> professor look. J Mod or J Mood? J Mood. No, J-Mod, all J -Mod. the way, because it's got a 60s vibe. It just needs I a just now. came up with that. Top of my head, head hurts now. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Probably because it's cold. It is. I'm freezing. My feet are cold, J-Mod. All right. <laughs> That's what I'm going to put as your little thing under here. Nice. <laughs> all right, everybody. Big Bottom, episode 22. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Bye. Hi. What's up? Hello. Uh, big bottom episode twenty-two with and in this today, he's he's right below me. I don't know where he is with you guys. Still right there. So, uh, there. Rodney MCG, the <laughs> hard rock metal guru, right with us today. Yes. Oh, I appreciate the invite, guys. Very cool. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. So what's uh, what's on the agenda for today? Yeah, I want to talk about a story. Steve keeping his internet. That's what's oh, on the agenda. Oh, yeah. Steve's internet. This is our take two. We have right, so Just to tell everybody, this is the second version of this. We tried to do this the other day. We had a and big Steve's... internet brownout at work. So. I mean, yeah, you could say since you were in Leo's lounge, the, uh, the big guy maybe just didn't like talking about Schechter. Yeah, he just yeah. didn't like it. So... <laughs> it was part that and part that we just know he hates metal. I mean, he was like, don't let that crap come out of one of my bases. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> now, if you look at, the, look at the lineage, you know, you get Fender up there. Does Schechter fall somewhere? Like someone from Fender may have left and did some, started some company and then, or I don't know. I'm, I might be talking now to my Italian butt, but. Well, Schechter started in LA as like a super custom, like they were one of the first, like. Yeah, weren't they like one of the first arts? companies yeah. you can get yeah. in like license hollywood or something like that yeah and they actually licensed they, they did it legally back in the day i'm pretty mm -hmm. sure that they've had licensed parts for fenders and were one of the first companies pat wilkins worked for them i think that's where he 
Yeah, Pat was a rejected guy. So yeah. they're a weird kind of accepted stepchild. Yeah, so yeah, maybe. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they were definitely up there with like the original, like, you know, replacement, you know, before mm -hmm. Warmoth and all parts and, and even built some uh, back in the day, some stuff for, I, I, I want to say that some, you know, some of those famous 70s, 80s, like session guys from the West Coast. Oh yeah, played that stuff for sure. You know, so it's got a, it's got a a real good lineage. Mm -hmm. and, uh, back the original, uh, the first set of pickups, the original customs they did, that was all Anderson. There you go. Okay. Yeah. That was uh, you know, so it, it's kind of funny. I tried some of his, and they're just basically tweaks on what he did back at the original custom shop. And wow. you know, it's when you had all that stuff, and what was it like performance and. All yes. those companies back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Building uh, the custom hot-rotted stuff. Yeah. I'm going to throw some history questions at Rodney then about Schechter. Didn't um, one of uh, Pete Townsend's techs have something to do with create having the company go from just parts to creating full guitars? Like there was uh, a uh, – that's what I – something along those lines where one of the – who toured one of the early one of them I, I think it was one of their last tours really like as like in their heyday mm -hmm. uh in the 80s pete went on the road instead of all the less pauls he had a bunch of schecter tellies you know black yep. schecter tellies like yeah. 10 mm -hmm. of them or something ridiculous like that and um i thought it was his his tech had something to do with it but you would probably know a hundred times more. Um, yeah i wouldn't i'm unfortunately not the knower of all things schecter history um, especially past a certain point. Uh, but as far as I know, I mean, I know he really was kind of steady with that tally model and it got reissued again later. Uh, but yes, uh, I wouldn't know if that was the real impetus behind it or whatnot. It would seem a little strange to me just because in just design and aesthetic, when it seems like they kind of really kind of pushed forward as a company it wasn't that style mm -hmm. so that would just be my basic observation on it but yeah I, it's i wouldn't doubt it but at the same time it's it's hard for me to see a direct line there so, so for the folks that don't know what your role at schecter what are you, uh, what uh, you with them? i don't actually i don't work at schecter okay. I don't yeah yeah do anything there uh been in Dorsey for a long time, okay. uh, and we just have a good relationship. Cool. At that point, I'm not under, you know, like official endorsement yeah, or yeah. anything like that. Uh, I've been using their bases for quite a while mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So it's it's been mostly me talking with them about their stuff and uh, yeah, just using their stuff and I've enjoyed it and things. But uh, I don't have like an official role with the company. I just happen to have seemed to. Have up and up to this point, minorly cornered the market on demo and review on their basis. So cool. yeah, yeah. And you do a great job, man. Fa fantastic. It's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. Genuinely. Yeah, you actually do reviews that put the instrument in a light where somebody could be like, Oh, okay. I, I understand what this instrument will do and what it could do for me. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a, that's a big road to hoe there. So yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I had a little relationship with, with, uh, Schechter, but again, not an official endorsee, what have you. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it was kind of a little funny story. We could tie in how we how we met you, actually, Rodney. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I had a couple of instances from them that I was gigging and so forth. And I'm like, there really wasn't any good 
reviews. I mean, I already knew what I liked and wanted, but you know, you, you check out like uh, who's using this. And I'm like, there was one guy that I saw like playing the fuck out of it. That sounded great. And that was Rodney. And I don't even think I could see his face in some of the videos. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, I, you know, I saw him and then, um, when I came up to you and I met you, the three of us met you at the Schechter tour, mm -hmm. uh, I was like, oh, I feel like I already know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I just came up and said, hey, man, how you doing? And, you know, introduced myself and the whole nine yards. And, and that's how the restraining order happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened to all of us. Yeah. But that's what we're like, Tony. Yeah, yeah just... This guy. Okay. <laughs> hey, what are you drinking? Oh, you got a little, uh, little French press. Look, coffee. Look at that. Johnny Brook coffee. Man after my own heart. Here. There you go. Um, you guys have some coming out. That's our. Those are, that's our new uh, people, huh? Our new. Johnny uh... Brook coffee. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. uh, it's very, very uh, relatively well. Roddy, what are you drinking for coffee? What's your favorite? What's your favorite roast? Uh. I'm actually an espresso guy. Nice. Uh, it basically is any espresso done so heavy that you can finally stand a spoon up in it. That's... So you like you like dark dark roast. I like road tar basically. Road tar. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So that's like Turkish coffees like that too, and so well, forth. Turkish coffee is actually the ground so fine that they actually stir it in. Yeah, that's Turkish coffee. It's actually the grounds. Mm -hmm. So fine. They turn it up. They drink the cup and they turn it upside down and supposedly can. And then you're like, they read the fortune from like the grinds doing the thing. Yeah. yeah. All right, so Rodney, do you do French press, pour over? What do you uh, What do you do? What do you like? Uh, I have a, uh, a one of those full ridiculous size oh. machine that does like the circular brew and everything. So you're yeah okay so you're chem uh, you're like you're the chemistry. Oh yeah, I actually have an IV. It just goes like I just like load right it up there. in the morning, tap in. <laughs> nice. Everybody thinks I just got out of the hospital when yeah. they come to my house, and it's just me rolling around <laughs> with the coffee. Nice, dude. That's cool, man. But, uh, um, so, so for me, your videos, like it's um, they're just great. And the the hardest thing I think to to really what did I, what did I say, like really capture the sound and the show on the internet, especially like YouTube. I mean, YouTube's the biggest. So mm -hmm. that's what we all use, you know, it's Google and all that is just getting a good bass sound through that. And yeah. you do, I mean, it's great. What do you, how, what's your process there? What do you use interface wise, recording wise? I'm curious for myself, you know, just, uh, right. yeah. Yeah, I, I tried to make it, uh, as simple as possible and pare down as much cool. as I could because, uh, I don't always want to shoot at the same place. Like sometimes I just want to get out of the studio and have a different background or every once in a while I'll green screen something or something oh. like that. So I want to make sure I had uh, something different from my user, usual larger interface mm -hmm. and one that I knew worked with my laptops and my Windows Surface and that kind of thing. Oh. Uh, strangely enough, and it tells you how you can't always go by brand name, I just got a, one of the four input uh, Behringer units. Dude. And it's yeah. got four mic inputs, uh, and they actually sounded better than my Focusrite. So cool. I just went with it. Uh, depending on how worried I am, or I think critical is the voice quality, I'll either just go off the camera mic, I've got a decent sure. Sony setup with a hot shoe on it, or if I think like it's a really loud, ringy room, then I'll yeah. put a separate mic up out of the scene a bit. Nice. 
Yeah. Uh, and then I just go direct into the unit. And uh, so then I've got the DI and this helped me out a lot once I was able to get this process down <clears throat> was I'll have usually like some kind of amp sim mm -hmm. going where I'm recording and I can hear through the monitors across the room, but I'm recording the DI. And then if I don't like how the amp sim is done or something just sounds weird or something, I can EQ and change it. Nice. Then I bounce them together and time lock them when I go to edit. So I've got a good separated bass track That's cool. uh, from outside of there. Uh, and I've also, I use a lot of IR stuff. Sure. So I've already got an IR of the Mesa 412 powerhouse cab that I use. So I don't always have to mic it. I've already got it mic'd exactly how I want to hear it. And it's consistent through my videos that way too. It's yeah. not like, oh, it was a little off today. So if I'm doing a back-to-back -back comparison, mm -hmm. you're always hearing it as if it was coming through the same mic at the same point in the cab that way. That's cool. uh, it, I feel like it gives a, a bit more of an honest reflection, especially after a number of preamps over several months or something, you can kind of go, oh, it's going through that same thing. So I'm getting a, a, an exact example of how, if I was just swapping through all of these, it would be an AB comparison. Did you make great. the IR yourself? Uh, I did. Nice. Cool. Yeah, it's a, I'm a it's huge fan now. Huge fan of them. Yeah. Oh, it's it, it's a revolution. Once I got into them, I just went. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't live without it anymore. That's how I feel. I just discovered it. Where you know I'm tracking for my own record just recently. It's coming up. We're just doing the pre-production now, and I'm like, okay, well, how do I do this more on the fly? Like I, where I just use two channels because I usually use three. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, all right, well. I don't want to mic up everywhere and I know I might be in some environments where it's going to be tighter. So I'm always going to use the ready. I'm always going to use the tube ready. And I just like how big it sounds on tape, but it doesn't always have that amp sound. So I started playing with the IRs and I'm like, Whoa, you know, I was able to get with just within one day of playing with it. Um, my, to quote my guitar player, he said, you get 95% of what your onstage sound is like right now. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is pretty good. I might play more to see, to get it as close as I possibly can. One thing that uh, really helped me out with that too, and that I think really, because I'm, I'm kind of a, a tone psycho with my own stuff. I'm, I, like, I must be the most horrible person on earth to work with in a sound environment because as my old engineer said, you could hear a mouse get a hard on four floors down. <laughs> it's like, if there's something even minorly wrong, I'm gonna go nuts about it. And so what I started doing is when I would do the IRs, I would actually sit and get like a, you know, like a 30 band EQ and just go in and notch and get everything exactly where I would wanna hear it. Wow. You know, dial down that real high end click so I can bring up the high mids a little more without getting that extended fret whack on top of it, that kind of thing, a little more bottom punch around 120, those type of things, and I'll dial them in. Then when I create the IR, it goes through that EQ out to my cab. So now my perfect EQ setting is baked into my speaker IR. Hmm. So by loading my cabinet, my absolute ideal EQ is baked into it too. So if I go front to house, it's like I'm out at the board getting every little notch exactly where I would want it. And I don't have to sit there, you know, back and forth with a sound guy or something, you know, trying to get it dialed in just right. I can go just plug this in. Yeah. You know, you know interesting on.
And I don't mean to, to bogart here, guys, but I just want to pick Rodney's brain on this. So you configured what you think is just right with a with a 30 band EQ, but mm -hmm. when you add that to the mix with like say lug guitars and like big thumbs, you know, um, when you're talking about 120, so let's say you had a, like a real tight 24 inch kick drum, it's like you know getting into the frequency range that mm -hmm. he's using too. So do you feel like you have to retweak at all if you already have like such a tweaked sound going in? I don't because I always get my sound with instruments, not solo. Uh, I think it's kind of a, a, a you know, a, the, the dead man's quest if you go and, you know, it's kind of the reason why every guitar player seems to have a scoop sound that sounds great at home in your bedroom, but it's crap once you get out there. Uh, you know, because it, being, you know, the, the kind of Trent Reznor of my own project and everything, I dictate the recording process and everything. So I know how all the sounds fit together. And I dial them in myself. I do all the guitar parts and everything anyway. So my guitar parts are done the same way. So they're already married together. It's mm -hmm. like I've notched it so that, okay, I know 120 hertz is what drops the floor out right underneath of where I'll give the guitar some punch at maybe 250 to give it some low mids and some oomph in palm muting. And like, I've already kind of assembled it like a puzzle piece. So if we go straight out with gear and it's already been tuned that way, it basically sounds like a reproduction of the recorded sound. What are you doing for your kick drum then? Cause you're in that kick drum territory too. You boost uh, around 80 or 90 Hertz. I just mute it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who's this guy? Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's one of those things where I just kind of move around it. If, if I, yeah, it depends on the type of the song and everything. And I, I've always, <laughs> kind of on with the uh I, I forget the engineer who said it but uh he was always like you can either have bass or the kick drum that's going to control the low end and you can't have both so if i want a really massive sound or we're doing really heavy but slower material that's where i'm going to lean and let the kick carry a little more because you just want that slower end punch and that's where i'll you know let them boost 50 to 70 somewhere in there and i'm going to start jumping up ahead of it uh, but if it's faster material where you just can't have that kind of weight in the kick and you have to add a little more head attack and things, that's where I'm going to get even heavier in 120 so that I can carry and push through the bottom and let the kick drum sit above me a little bit. So it, it depends on the material. Do you have to tweak gotcha. room-wise? I mean, every room is a little different. Do you find it's consistent enough? Yeah, it's, I mean, the that's the thing is, in a way, it kind of helps that too, because it's like, if we already work together, the same adjustments have to be made. Got you know, it. it's like, if you're in a really boomy room, then you can take, you know, guitars and bass, send them out to one bus, mm -hmm. and then just shape sure. that already unified sound. Rather mm -hmm. than, I got to take this out of the guitars or this out of the bass. It's like, no, there's just too much bass. So you got to high, you know, high pass the overall mix of it. It, cool. uh, it really definitely has streamlined. Yeah, the, yeah, it's the same thing as like if, you know, when an engineer gets into a new room on tour or something, they pop in a CD, start listening, all those tweaks they would normally yeah. do, that's got to be done anyway. Yeah. So then the sound's going to work by the time that's, you know, the room tuning is done. Cool. So, yeah, it, it made a huge difference for me. Uh, I'm actually going to be doing... Uh, the, the beginning of the year, I'm kicking off two new series and I'm going to try and really level up the channel. Uh, uh, 
on top of doing the gear demos, I've been holding back a little bit on gear demos because I've been trying to do them a little differently. I feel like it, it, it's always the same thing when you see a gear demo. It's, hi, I have thing. And then they play and they try and impress you a little bit. And uh, then it's, here's why this is awesome or here's why I hate this and sign off. And I, one of my problems with it is just it, it can become a little repetitive or monotonous and sometimes you really don't get comparisons. And that's been, I talked about it in one of my uh, weekly shows where one of the big problems with a lot of the reviews and part of why I use uh, to what we were saying, the IRs to try and keep them consistent is there's never an AB. So you're really kind of getting an unknown constantly. You know, you may listen and go, oh my God, this sounds great. But it's like, versus what? You know, some people are just good at dialing things in. And it's like, well, what does this sound like compared to something I know? So I'm going to try as much as possible to have uh, a consistent thing that somebody can reference. Like I'm probably going to grab a short performance and get the DI tracks from it and use it for multiple videos. So you're always hearing the, the same bass, same strings, same, you know, everything going through. Mm. And then be able to go, okay, I can line up six of his videos when I want to hear the best preamp for me. And I know he's using this EMG setup and I know he's using this bass with the maple neck. So I got at least a starting place. And now I'm just going to go through and, you know, he dials it in in a certain <clears> way. So what, how good was he able to do it at each point? And then you have a much better reference just then. I tried a new setup and here it is and this bass and that, you know, one guy's doing it with a jazz bass one week and then he's got a precision the next and it, you know, it's, mm -hmm. you, you kind of don't have a, a footing to get a real understanding of the, the thing. I did something like that when I was doing an article for Seymour Duncan about flat wound bass strings. Mm -hmm. And I did that same thing. I did, I think I got six bass, um, six sets, different one, like all the big names at the time. Uh, played them all on the same bass, did, played the exact same bass lines and everything like that, and just put them back and forth like that. And so it was like this one track was like, here's a Motown lick. And, you know, I notched each part for so you know each where each one was. And you could hear definite differences at yeah. that point, but it made it so much easier because, like you're saying, you're taking out all the, all the variables until the only thing that it, that's, that's changing is the, the thing you're actually talking about. Exactly. I, I feel like that's really the only, I feel like that, that's the difference between a guitar demo and just showing off a piece of gear. You yeah. know, like the, some of the stuff I've been doing for EMG, I did a guitar thing where I took the same guitar and just kept swapping the pickups out. Yeah. And I kept playing the same example all the way through it, did lead, did rhythm. And immediately the comments were like, thank you. Like, I, you know, I keep hearing them separate and from different people. So I don't, I have no idea. It's like through a different amp, through a different cabinet. And it's a completely different tone. I don't know how they sound in accordance to each other. So I know which one to pick. Mm -hmm. And that seems as often as possible. There's some, you know, a lot of cases you just can't do that because you have a unique product or something. But as often as possible, I'm going to try and do that. I'm also going to be doing things like uh, doing comparative EQs. I've done it in a couple of my videos where I'll actually put it through and do an EQ capture of one and then the other and show the differences 
in case your your ear isn't at the point where you can go, oh, there's a lot of 4K in that one or, you know, that type of thing. So they can go, oh, I can literally see it. Like this pickup has way more high end or there's a hump at 500 or so they can get, you know, a data spreadsheet almost of like, what do I like to hear? And I can see this has more of it. I, feel I like hope the manufacturers are listening because this is really good, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's, it's educating the public, you know? If somebody doesn't understand it, there's a lot of players that don't. And putting those frequencies to actual notes or the certain places, it's mm-hmm. valuable, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, think, I think it is. It's, it basically just comes down to the whole reason why I even started the channel. It's like I try and do the reviews that I want to see. Yeah. You know, that, that's to me is the biggest benefit is I just get to screw around with gear that I really am interested in and weed out all the choices and I just let people watch you know, as I sit that's, there and nerd out, you know. That gives it a genuine feel as opposed to driven by whatever masses, you know, it's like you want to do it because you want to do it. Yeah. 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 But uh, the other two, you know, pieces going back to like the, the sound engineering and stuff, I'll be going into a lot of that in detail. The two series I'm going to be starting, starting the beginning of the year is um, I researched for a long time on YouTube to make sure there was nothing like this on it. Yeah. And I'm going to be doing a series where I start from the beginning of your, when you first even think of starting a musical project, yeah. going all the way through songwriting to pre-production to recording mixing master you know the whole engineering process and then even into branding and marketing and you know the things you need to think about how to make sure that what you want to be as an artist actually comes out through the music rather than just kind of going i want to sound good and handing it to somebody uh you know the entire (laughs) process from you know start to finish and that i'm going to get a lot into and I think it's going to be, I'm hoping guitar players, bassists, drummers will all be able to pick up on it to a certain degree and go, listen to this sound. Sounds great, right? And then I'll show it in the mix and go, see how it sounds like ass now? This is why. It's, you have to develop your tone within the group of musicians you're with. And that's the only way to guarantee you actually come out sounding the way you want to and how to craft those. I did one and that one got a really good response too as I just played the same bass line and I played the same guitar and just swapped out pickups over it Yeah. as it went over and it changed the sound of how you heard the bass and people were kind of like, I never realized this happens. Like, yeah. And then I would speak one little- Separate free- channel, Rodney, or on your channel? Yeah. YouTube? Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, so all, be, all can be found under the same umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll put- I'll put and we'll, we'll put the link, links up and everywhere. Very cool. Very cool. No, but that's great. I, I mean, also, it's helping, you know, maybe opening up some eyes for people that never thought about recording, multi-tracking other instruments. We're like, oh, wow. That's, you know, yeah, just it's great. You know, you're you're inspiring for sure. You know, it's it's rad. I like that. Appreciate uh, that. You know, I'm leaning more into some education things and yeah. stuff. I feel like. Uh, from you know my past history of teaching or some of the I, I I think maybe I've applied some different things to my methodologies that aren't as common cool. for a lot of people so you know uh, I'll even be doing a course on creativity and how people think it's unteachable it's not you can force creativity at any minute if you understand how it and why it happens and then just maneuver your thinking into that position uh, you know so that 
people can more have an effective thing of like, I'm going to sit down and write and then be a productive artist rather than that. I feel like that's something we probably all suffer from is that sense of it, you know, music can be a real random thing of, I wait for inspiration and then, you know, my amp doesn't sound right today. And then this guy doesn't show up for practice. It's always these constant swirling elements of stuff, yeah. not connecting. And, uh, being a bit type A on that type of thing, I've always been obsessed with locking it all down. So, well, I mean, some of the great songs. I mean, Jackson Brown would wake up every morning and like two hours write. Yeah, whatever it was. I mean, you got Jason Isbell does that. You got you know even writers Hunter S. Thompson, even though his was a little bit left to center crazy, but he had mm -hmm. his schedule, man. It, and that's when he did. He put this time and and like you said, you know, it can be taught or you know maybe it's not going to be as good or creative in one day, but at least it's getting that motion and doing something and doing yep. that and setting aside that time and then getting into a flow state and blah, 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 yada, yada. But you're getting into deep psychological, yeah. you know, aspects now. Like, I mean, you're getting into yeah. something beyond psych 101 classes, really, you know, these, <laughs> no, these, are, these are actual techniques, you know, Yeah, but that's awesome, man. That's, you know, that that's great. I think it's going to be an awesome series. Yeah. I hope so. It'll be a lot of fun. And like I said, a lot of it, it isn't that deep. It's just, you know, taking your familiar legs out from under yeah. you. Like every once in a while, I'll just tune my bass randomly and pick different pitches. Yeah. And it breaks me out of, because I think, you know, especially if you've worked a lot on theory or scales or things like that, you start developing patterns. Yeah. And it's like, now I've been robbed of all that. I don't know where anything is. So I just start hitting notes and I really have to focus in on note value and things that sound pleasing to me rather than being able to just blow through stuff. And then the real challenge becomes, then I go back to my normal tuning and have to figure it out, <laughs> which is, yeah, it's enlightening right there. But then just going back and doing that makes me look and start looking at shapes and ways of maneuvering around scales I never would have thought of before yeah. and there are ways that I feel like are very honest because I picked these notes out because strictly of how they sounded to me yeah, yeah. not oh I'm playing this scale and that's very metal and you know, that kind of thing it's I enjoyed this and now I know what it looks like and how to get it and something about my personality that now I've got a landmark for hmm. and that's a simple thing to do just do that <laughs> I went through one bad winter, and you guys were going to laugh at me for this. This is really nerdy. Uh, where I was young, and I didn't have a car for a few weeks, which is in Boston means you're stranded, right? Unless you live deep in the city, you're, you're stranded. So I used a uh, number, random number generator to create, and I assigned a note to each value. And I'd be like, okay, I'm going to write this on staff. And, and try to play it. And of course it sounds horrible. And then you, you do it like, okay, well now I'm gonna pick a key. And then, okay, this sounds, now it sounds like weird jazz, but no, it's something. And it did, it taught you, you looked at intervals differently and so forth. I, you know, it was, it was fun. Yeah. And that's the best part is that, you know, the creativity should be fun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, nerding out is, you know, a, a ton of fun. Some people, it's almost spending that time though is almost an inhibitor. They want to get right to things. So it's like, how can I put those two together? Can I teach, you know, how to get to something as quickly as possible, get it accomplished quickly, but then also make it fun because you're not spending hours and hours if you're just not into that kind of thing, exploring around. So that could be, uh, 
I feel like stuff like that might go over well, or I might get three hits, and uh, that's it. So we'll see. <laughs> but, but you're doing it because you want to do it. So that's exactly. That's that's what matters. <laughs> that's it, man. You know. Uh, I have a question for you, Steve. Yes, sir. If there was a GNL base that had to be recommended for a metal guy, what would it be? Probably the L2000. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll get you one. Do a review. I'll I'll, I'll get you one. Yeah, I'll will find one. It's very and and these guys. The L twenty five. Well, I do the twenty five hundred, which yeah, is basically it's, it, it's well, Tony. The, tone wise, it just has it, it's it's not a jazz. It's not a P. Mm -hmm. Not a music man. It's not. It's its own animal, and it it's um, it's got this mid barkness to it. Uh, the switches, you know, like I said, when I send it to you, we'll talk. I'll, you know, and Tony knows it. And I can so, speak oh, on this. I got a couple of yeah, them. Actually. Yeah, and just setting wise, you got to kind of sit with it and learn because the the so it's master volume, treble and bass, and the treble and bass are cut only. So you hmm. start all the way up and you take away. So, um, yeah, I think it's almost like, and I, and I mean this in a good way, Steve. Yeah, no, like good. a slightly more aggressive version of a PJ. Yeah. Okay, but it can do other things too. You know, um, it can completely do other other things. The MFD uh, pickups are very different. You just have to kind of they're one hundred percent their own yeah. thing. If yeah, I'm yeah. if I'm not playing a low. I'm playing the L2500. Yeah. That's pretty. It's one of those statement. that that's some, it's one of those that you plug in and you have to kind of like, okay, this sounded kind of mess with for a minute to get mm -hmm. into it. You know, um, it's got a pickup selector as opposed to pickup panning. So, you know, you kind of get used to that. It's got a series humbucking and a parallel humbucking setting that's a little different. And then it's got a little preamp that's uh, it's a buffer preamp doesn't really hype any frequencies except for one setting it was leo developed it so that the speak the cable lengths weren't uh interfered with when you went longer than like 25 foot cables that's all it was it was a buffer to increase the signal so that's it but it, um mm -hmm. i'll get you one man yeah try I'll, it out i just yeah, to... I'll do. i've always honestly been a little curious why uh i don't see uh, more metal guys using some of them uh back in the like a long back in the day time and i give myself away but uh i snuck into a club underage to see flotsam and jetsam when oh. jason newstead was still with them yeah yeah, yeah. and he was playing <laughs> you uh, did date yourself <laughs> which was awkward because i don't like me and we didn't get along but uh <laughs> But was playing a GNL and it was ferocious. I, and uh, I think the MF, what was it, the uh, MFD, and then uh, I heard a couple samples of the P pickup. Is it the SP or the SB? Yeah, SB. The SB has MFDs. That's another kind of a, a it's a it's a sleeper base, which I'm actually really trying to kind of uh, reawake because it, reawaken, I should say, because it's. Mm -hmm. It's not a P per se. It's a little bit more of an aggressive P, and the SB has the pickup a little farther back. But it's really, it, it, it's a P bass and then some because it's really a ridiculously versatile bass. You know, you can and, uh, comp an aggressive P bass. You yeah. can comp. You can play jazz. You know, jazz. Uh, Dan Lutz plays with uh, Jonathan Butler and plays that, and he's mm -hmm. used to playing like a, you know, 
fancy, you know, uh, boutique kind of uh, modernish sound. And he goes, dude, this thing is incredible. It fits. It works. So it, the MFD thing is a definite, like, that's a Leo thing. That's a GNL thing. Very uh, distinct sound onto itself. What no, but I always see, like I said, I, I would hear different samples, always curious, but it was never anything was around. I didn't know anybody that played them. Yeah. Like, I've always, the first sets that I really fell in love with and I found I've gone back to is I use a double P set now. Nice. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. I used to play the old uh, original USBC Riches before yeah. they went all like, and weird. Yeah. And, and it had those Model P DiMarzios in it. Yeah. And it was just aggressive as hell. And I do the same thing with EMGs now. All my bases are double P setups. I use PJ once in a while, but it's kind of my optimal is just that ridiculousness. And whenever I would hear samples of like uh, those series GNLs and stuff, I'm like, it's kind of in that same real bark kind of territory. So I'm surprised that they just didn't catch on with metal as much. You know, yeah, I don't know, man. It's like, you know, there's... Those who kind of know, know, they use them, mm-hmm. and I, you know. I'm shocked as well, yeah. because they, and I, I had that conversation with Stephen, like, why aren't these more common in metal? Like, no. why would someone play a Warwick? I mean, I understand some people might dig that whole weird wood thing and everything like that, but it's super, they can get super aggressive. Yeah. Oh, ridiculous. And, and, and you can mellow it out too, though, if you want to. It's you can go passive and dial back the highs and just go sweet. Like I have a fusion, I have a funk fusion record. Uh, I guess that's the category I'm going to be putting out with Dig by Terry. Yeah. And I'm doing a couple of the tracks with the L2500. Hands down. I love it. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get you one, right? Uh, four or five? Uh, five, I guess, would be yeah, well, better. Especially if I'm going to do a demo, a lot of guys like to see the uh, extended range covered. Yeah, I'd love to try it out. Nice, and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get you one of these demo, try it out. Yeah, I, I mean, you gotta think too, Steve, for something like that, that Tony can play his aggressive style, I can play my more laid back nuanced thing on the same instrument and use it in two completely different worlds and it's gonna fit great. It's pretty crazy. It's it's a good bass. It's kind of one of those unsung unsung hero bases. Rodney, you got a pretty hard technique, don't you? I mean, you're not a gentle player in the right hand. Uh, I how could I I be delicate about it? Um, I have don't to, be. Yeah, don't I, I have to purposefully set up my bass so that I don't kick the shit out of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've been trying to do that more and more, uh, and it's and it's because of more of my tone too, because I'm just constantly trying to out rabid myself in a way so i've learned to kind of embrace the fret noise and stuff so i've been lowering the strings more and more to get that consistent kind of uh the way i attack it anymore is i've actually kind of changed it but i used to just beat the shit out of it. i've been known to actually punch my bass it, it just comes down to where okay, I so maybe you have an even a more aggressive hand than me i've got a hard right hand very hard and uh i'm a big fan like you of, you know, you with the Schecters, you play 35-inch scale. I play 35-inch scale lulls. I would have to say the L2500, I would say just, you know, the GNLs in general. I don't know if it's the bridge and, and the six-bolt thing. I'm not quite sure exactly what. I'm sure it's a combination of everything. That heavy bridge, the six bolts, the neck is substantial. Um, although they have a couple of different, you know, thicknesses. Uh, it's probably one of the best 34-inch scale five strings I've ever played. 
And really? I'm saying that, and I play hard, you know? I mean, what moved me to Lull was, um, that was one of the factors. I had to have, a, I had to find a company that was working with 35. In fact, that's when I worked with Schechter a little bit. I'm like, well, they do 35. Okay, cool, I can, I can do this. And GNL is fine, just fine. Yeah, you know, it's 34 inch scale, and they're, we make some great bees, you know? Some great. Yeah. Yeah, it, I found that interesting. I'm sure you have something to say uh, that would be informative on that too. I did uh, one of my shows a little while ago. We were talking about how nothing is set in stone. That you know, people always go, "You have to have a 35 scale for this. You have to have that." And I would, I sat there and said, you know, pulled out. I have one of the old PVTLs. Yeah. Oh, dude, those are the Tom Landers. Yeah. Tim Landers. Tim Landers base. The Tim TL. Landers. Those yeah. Are great. TL five. Double P. Standard pickups, those yeah. things, I, I called it the poor man's Alembic. It was just absolutely amazingly constructed, 34. I hit the bottom on that one, and there are whales that start signaling <laughs> off the coast. Nice. Just unreal, and it was just because it's just really well-crafted, you know, having everything set just right. A half-ass 35 is going to play like, you know, spaghetti compared to a 34 that's done well. I had a Tobias Basic 6. Yeah. That... Yeah amazing absolutely incredible so and you know that was i was trying to get that apart to people too as i've gone you know there's nothing that's set in stone so whenever possible even though we're in kind of a remote world get your hands on something and don't think that one setting determines you know 100 everything you're going to get out of it yeah i i always i talk with these guys especially low bees i always say like there's this for me it either falls in the side where you hit it and it's kind of a slow bloom or you hit it and it's like that. Those are your two like yeah. extremes. And then it can fall anywhere in between that. For me, I like I like a bee that's just tight. But I know some people that like a more of a blooming low bee. So I, I think that that's kind of how I gauge it. When I hear a bee like, okay, is that going to be a fast snappy bee or C or you know, D flat or D or whatever, you know, that those notes, or are they going to be a little bit slower attack? And some people like slower attack. I like a little bit more of a quick pokey. I, don't know I like, that. I prefer pokey pokey as yeah. well. But, but there are some people that, yeah, but there are some people that, that I've talked to and I play bass and they really like that, that blooming kind mm -hmm. of lowness. So I don't know what, where do you, you fall in the category there? Or have you, do you kind of notice that or, um, uh, I do, and that was part of the other thing, and I think uh, even John would uh, have a good relation to this, just on how strings are constructed, too. Yeah, yeah. That, again, that's one of those things you can't take for granted, especially if you're really a psycho about your B string. Well, what about a different set of strings? If you're going from hex to round core on the same yeah. bass, that's going to be dramatically different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they say the tone is in your fingers thing, especially on something like fingerstyle bass, it definitely is... Uh, somebody was asking me actually i play with three fingers mm -hmm. and they were saying that it looked kind of strange to them at some points when they watched like i had the camera underneath a couple of times and it's because i found that you know trying to get this constantly aggressive almost almost a slap tone out of finger style kind of thing that i've started curling my hand and i more strike down on the string almost like a very end whistle type yeah, of a yeah. <laughs> i'm almost tapping. Like, dun, 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 dun. yeah 
And for me, it's because I do tapping, like it really quick runs a lot of times. It's almost the same approach. My hand's almost in the same position as like I'll be tapping and then I just go back to playing. It's just kind of like on a, uh, you know, kind of a sliding sure. positioning thing. So I'm always pinging off the fret almost. And I play very close to the neck, a very kind of getty approach to things. And so what I'm going to get out of a B string is going to be completely different than a guy who does a conventional, you yeah. know, pop downward towards their chest kind of approach. Over the pick. So yeah. Totally different. Yeah. Exactly. So they might get a bloom, whereas I'm going to get a very, you know, snappy attack and almost a truncated low end because I'm getting so much more fret noise on top of it. So it's, it really is one of those things where, you know, you have to go out and discover on your own. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, we're in kind of a preset culture anymore where it's like, give me the package that gets me this thing. You know, yep. what, what's the metal base? What's the right overdrive? What's the, you know, and. Well, you know, I think the thing, it, a perfect example of what you're saying, Rodney, is when um, balanced tension sets came out. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as much as people tried to tout it, at the end of the day, people want that for people want it in a package to go to the store and be like, I want my set of mediums. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And they're done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me too, that, you know, on things like that, how something will suddenly become crucial. And then it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this very, <laughs> very in thing type of thing. And then they move along. It's it suddenly the thing that was you were an idiot for not having it a year later, the next progression of whatever it is comes out and nobody even remembers the thing that was absolutely, you know, essential to whatever, you know, item it was you had. I think after your amp and your instrument, your strings are your next important element. 100%. Yeah. You know, I would rather- I think they're very overlooked. What's yeah, the cheapest? I've, I've said I always would rather play a shitty bass with fresh strings on it than a great bass with dead strings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It, it's just a world of difference. And unfortunately, I apparently have the, the blood that the alien had in the first movie. And it's like, oh, while stringing up, I've killed them. You, like have, those. you have those hands. Oh, that makeup. You makeup. and um, Mike Pope. Nice. <laughs> I, did a, I did a show with Mike Pope and I was showing him my bass and everything like that. And he's like, can I try it? I'm like, how about you just look? <laughs> I said to Mike Pope, like, you want to just look at it? Yeah. He's like, like, oh, yeah. He goes, you know about my condition. Uh, <laughs> hey, Rod, do you rust out the screws on the pickups and the, like, the hardware? I was wondering, because I've known a couple of people have had that, and they'll, like, rust out their, you know, saddle screws or, you know, stuff like that. I was uh, wondering. Not quite as much, but... but you can't... Yeah, there, there's something like the, the string... I can do, like, one set, and the strings will feel like somebody's dumped something on them. Like, a, like a, all of a sudden, I've got a set of elixirs or something. Sure. Can I give you a little trick that, I, that I've done a lot? You about playing? Uh, right chicken. <laughs> right chicken. Oh, my <laughs> God, about my chicken. No. I like fried right chicken. Nothing wrong with it, dude. Even John's laughing, going, what the hell is going on? No, this is hey, nothing to do with the fried chicken. You saw the picture. You and Dino finally went out to get your chicken sandwiches last time. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jealous. Uh, cornstarch. Really? Some of the oh. real hot shows under the lights. I'm wearing a jumpsuit and all that stuff, you know, but blue, I'm like a little bit of cornstarch. I keep it in my rack case. Boom. It'll dry up your hand. 
you know, it's like a dollar a box, you know what I mean? You just need like that much mm -hmm. in between the fingers, around the tips, boom, dries it all out. And definitely will helps the life of the strings. I don't go through strings often, you know, and I play and I like a bright, hard, you know, ballsy sound. Yeah. Um, and that technique helps a lot. So I'll try that out. Yeah, I, I think I'm one of the, the few people I know too that it's like I I like the sound the second strings are put on a bass. Hmm. That oh, yeah, really an articulation. Yeah, so it's like, you know, four seconds in as they start to dull out, I'm like, map two set, new set. <laughs> it's <laughs> are you playing GHS steels, super steels? Uh was using the progressives for a while. Nice. Mm -hmm and uh, really enjoying them. And then I've just been kind of going, I gotta try something that's, and just see, because I've switched back to the EMGPs and I'm like, mm. uh, looking for a little more grind with it. So that's what mm -hmm. I've been kind of experimenting lately. Yeah. John's down here for me. Um, <laughs> John, John, John said, I was like freaking, I'm like, cause I'm a huge progressives fan, like, <gasps> best strings ever and then i'm like oh when are we, when are we gonna get them again you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i'm um i've got a couple of sets aside for my record nice. you know uh and then those uh, are the ones i i came out of my personal stash right tony thank you john <laughs> but the steels i love in the steels too i just mm -hmm. i go a little thinner i go a little thinner for the steels unless it's a drop tuning set but i'm not doing a lot of vocal stuff right now so i have those strings are fine where I have to drop it a half step. But um, I just go, I'm, I'm, John, am I playing the, the lights or I don't know if the mediums or? I think you're doing lights. What do we do, 40, 60, 80, 100? Yes, and then like a 126 or something like that or mm -hmm. 125. Um, That's about right. I like them. I'm a fan of Super Steels, man. I'm on the opposite side. I have an Excel sheet that I put when I change strings on some bases because I always fucking forget. So I'm like, oh, when did I change? Literally a year old. And they're like, they still are bright. So I, I'm on that other spectrum. I know. So, but the Super Steels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> have you tried the Super Steels, Rodney? Uh, I haven't. And that's what I've been kind of going. I need to check these out. And I like them mm -hmm. a lot, man. Yeah. yeah. Tony likes them. Tony's down here for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you're, you're this way from me. <laughs> Ronnie, John. Me? Yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> what, because uh, I'm nerding here, um, use Premiere for video, Final Cut? Uh, I do not. I use, use DaVinci. DaVinci, nice. Yeah. Resolve, is that DaVinci Resolve? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Uh, absolutely swear by it. Yeah. Um, I was, that was the last link to me finally escaping the Adobe Empire. Got it. Uh, <laughs> Good for you. I, I, I like the Adobe Empire because I use all that shit. So I have, I, I have the whole business suite because I do all the fucking Lightroom, Photoshop. I, I have to have all that stuff. And yeah, but I'm sure the environment wise, it's Premiere is pretty close to DaVinci. Uh, I find DaVinci to the workflow to be infinitely easier and less bullshitty. It, that, that was kind of the big thing, uh, problem I was having with Premiere is it, the way I had to constantly maneuver things to get to see what I want at the time and everything. And uh, 
Yeah, I don't like sub-menu thing. I don't like having to go multiple steps that aren't visible into things. I, I kind of want a video editor that looks like an audio editor. Got it. Uh, and the other thing being the color grading, mm-hmm. uh, I'll do the Pepsi challenge any day. Just better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the fact that there's audio in it. I don't have to do all my audio treatments outside the thing and bring it in now. It's I just yeah. throw everything into the same machine, load up my audio tracks, gate them, cut, do yeah. whatever I need to do. I take it you're a Mac guy. No. Yeah, really? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm yeah. shocked. Really? Okay. I'm actually uh, one of those idiots that builds all his own machines and everything. Hey, and there you go. Well, that's okay. Cool. That's awesome. That's just cool. Now, when you say that, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Knowing you more, I'm not surprised. Yeah, that's yeah. rad. When you yeah, say, yeah, I build it myself, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's Rodney. I'm a control freak. If there's any option that, you know, I can have utter yeah. dominance over what I'm doing. Uh, mm, and, I want to hear about your ex-band members, if you were a band leader. I'd love to hear about that then. <laughs> uh, nah, I don't know about that. That could get me arrested. <laughs> <laughs> So I got to say something off the cuff here. We talked a little bit about this and the, the different things like this in the first recording. This is way off in left field. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been to Amsterdam, all right? Oh. No, in Amsterdam, there's the Sex Museum. And the background of Rodney's studio looks like one of the rooms from the Sex Museum, okay? Are, are you sure it's not live from said room, Tony? Exactly. <laughs> Oh, I can think about because I lived there for a little bit, right? What and, in the sex room? Not the sex room. I lived in Amsterdam. So and, that uh, is your sex room right on. there, isn't it? You're in your sex room, Tony. This explains the gimp line on the uh, resume there. <laughs> I'm not, all I could think of is like, wow, fucking hey, that looks like the sex museum. That's probably how he got his blue man gig. They're like, are you comfortable wearing a costume? And he's like, am I? Yeah. <laughs> That's a bonus. I thought you were going to be in costume today, Tony. Wait a minute. This isn't the blue ball group? What? (laughs) No, no, no. I changed. Oh, okay. No. So I'm cool. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, I'm a mood guy. And because I spend roughly my entire day in here most days, it's uh, it's that thing of where I get to go to mental Disneyland and just kind of chill out. Vibe out. Mm -hmm. That's cool. What is what's your main what's your main instrument that you're using now? Do you have a couple or a few or as far as main bass? What what oh. yeah. Uh, don't a few of them right now, actually. Okay. Uh I I'm in kind of a period where I'm just getting trying to get a lot of different sounds. Uh uh using a, a Schechter SLS hmm. for kind of the center uh stuff that I'm doing. I got a six string. Uh, newer six string uh, from the same series. Uh, I actually am. I've been using a BC Rich Warlock from '83. Nice. <laughs> a couple of things. Oh my god! Uh, mm-hmm. Is I that the Devil P pickup? Oh, of course. That was the whole reason I got it. Uh, and I just picked up a 12 string, so I've been messing with that a lot. Uh, and some fretless. Nice. I picked up a uh, Bonnie Brunel five string fretless. Carbon. From Carvin, yeah. had like the asymmetrical Tobias style neck, and then actually you can probably see it right there, up mm-hmm. on top of my thing is another uh, five-string fretless uh, Carvin back in the day. Those things were really underrated, and they shouldn't have changed the formula. It's uh, 
yeah, those things are absolute steals from back then. I mean, the, the quality was good. Uh, the pickups were pretty horrible on all of them, but uh, man, you, you know, just the the quality of the builds and everything was really great. If I see a nice one here or there, I'll grab them. And I mean, you know, three fifty, four hundred bucks, you've got a more than awesome base. You know, Ronnie, I got to tell you about what you mentioned about the double piece with those Damasios. Mm-hmm. Sounding like the GNL. I picked up, I always had a thing for the BC Rich Eagle. Yes. So I picked one up and I kind of, not one of the real good 70s ones, but I kind of related one. And I hot rotted it with like, I put the I put the Damasio model P's in there and everything. And it's got that sound, but it still sounds different than the GNL. So I think when you review the GNL, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I, w- I see no reason why I wouldn't be. It's uh, and it, it's kind of my thing. Something that I feel like is kind of lacking in musical instrument production a lot right now is something that's its own animal. Yeah. Uh, it seems like people are kind of not just bands and music, but manufacturers all kind of have like a north star. And they're all shooting slightly at the same direction with just mild tweaks on things. And I don't hear a lot of their own things. That's, that's one thing that kind of bugs me about a lot of manufacturers that don't build their own pickups in-house. Although I love, you know, like I said, I'm you know, pretty steady with EMG and I, you know, I love what they do and it's become my sound. But it's like, you know, how different are you really going to be if you build this phenomenal base with all this stuff and then you stick the same pickups this other th- company has. It's, <laughs> yeah, like not, it, it's like how much, if you take a V8 engine, you can stick it in a ton of different cars. I'm not going to get that much difference in between them. Yeah. And well, so that, that, I like things with character. Or it's like, if you're going to give me something new, give me something new. You know? The mm-hmm. cool thing is that almost that North Star would be Leo Fender. And that's basically <laughs> L, which is kind of, crazy that you know like yeah it, he was so ahead of his time like them I, I just I, I really think that that's he was ahead of his time you know and yeah it's it's really nice to have that and we're gonna start doing more pickups replacement pickups mfd stuff and you know we make everything in-house and it, it's amazing the mfds are are i love them you know and and our alnico pickups are amazing too so i, I you know I haven't just drank the Kool-Aid. I actually use them and have played them and, you know. Mm-hmm. So he makes the Kool-Aid. I make the Kool-Aid. <laughs> they call me the Jim Jones of GNL. Wait, sorry. Right. You're going to love this. Drink up, children. But it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Totally random. I think that's one of my best, my favorite rap lines of all time was a thing from Bloodhound Gang. And uh, he said, I'm like, I'm, I'm like a Jim Jones cult. I'll take you out with one punch. There you go, but um, <laughs> I like it. Bloodhound gang, right? That was a good. Um, they, you know, they were creative at the very least. I think that guy, one of the that singer, was a intern on Howard uh, Howard Stern. You know, really? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh and then one of the tunes, one of the the hit, the one single they had, they <laughs> they break. I don't even know if I get into this. They break into the middle of it like they have a bridge, and the bridge he just stops and he says the drum from Def Leppard just has one arm, and he repeats it like mm-hmm. 15, 20 times, and then the song continues again. Now that, oh, that was the bridge. That's... Yeah, they, they, it was kind of like they, 
they had this thing where they would just like a ship rocking back and forth from just complete frat boy idiocy to one side where you're just going, oh, I almost feel uncomfortable listening to this. It's so stupid. And then occasionally it would just lean to this other side where you're like, that's like Rain Man brilliance. Yeah, it's like yeah. the idiot that came up with something so smart and funny. You know? didn't, didn't they do oh. kind of like a hip hop rap version of uh, Once I Was Afraid, I Was Petrified, that remake? Um, I don't know if that was them or not, but I wonder what it would be like if they came out now. Now there would be like somebody would set a Facebook group, you know, trying to ban them or something like that. I would, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, there's, there's no fun anymore. No. <laughs> None. No more. Like, what would happen if Two Live Crew oh, came dude, out you now? Could, you couldn't. God. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah. There's... I would kill for it. I would support it just because it's that ludicrous. Yeah, I can't get off on that tangent. Even even my safe harbor of metal has just become. Yeah. Man, there's some weak sauce out there. Who, uh, <laughs> who are some of your favorite new bands out there right now? Do you have any up and coming that you've heard that you like? Yeah. No, I'm being kind of savage there. There's there's some good stuff. Um, it's kind of rough in a way in that it's not that I don't like or respect a number of bands, but a lot of the metal genres that at least I appreciate kind of went on this turn a little while back with some, it's almost like they found a couple pieces that I really don't like as far as songcraft, and that's become the major element. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I don't appreciate what they do. It's just like that, that thing, like, it's like if you would just write the song without that part. If you would stop doing that thing, um, I, I, this kind of the extreme down tuning, I feel like has worn out its welcome to a degree. I just can't Mm -hmm. get with it. And, and and it's, again, it goes back to that preset thing too, of like, everybody has the same guitar sound. Everybody has this, this thing of, you know, I'm going to do the, you know, all the way through the verse. And then all of a sudden they turn into backstreet boys on the chorus. And I just go, yeah. you know, that, that kind of the Futurama gift. I'm like, did you slip a different song in on me? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. this, because then I'm like, I, now what are you? It's like, are you a pop band doing metal? Or are you a metal band that suddenly went pop for 20 seconds to have a hook? Right. And, you know, and again, this is just my opinion. I, oh, you know, yeah. I, 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 if it were static, and the music weren't evolving either, I'd have just as much a problem with that. It's just kind of gone in a direction where I'm like, what I've always enjoyed about metal was one, the fact that it didn't seem to have rules, that you could just kind of get away with stuff. And two is that it's just fundamentally aggressive. It's confrontational. It was, you know, depending on how you view, I guess, gangster rap or something, the most extreme form of music that was ever invented. Uh, especially when you get to the furthest ends of it. And I like that thing of just, you know, that it's almost the, the same reason I ride roller coasters. You know, I like that nervous thing of things aren't under control and going for that ride. And when you start doing things that make me feel too safe in it, or that I, I shouldn't know what you're going to do before you do it. Yeah. And when that comes up to it, I have a harder time appreciating it. And mm-hmm. I'd rather listen to something that's come before where the guy still kind of intimidates and scares me than something where the guy sounds sonically more aggressive, but viscerally way weaker. 
kind you of don't like, want to be protected. Yeah. You don't. No, it's you know. I, you know I, get, it, I get that. That's yeah, let's, let's box it out. I'm I'm good to go. Let's you know. Yeah, and just innovation wise, really nothing kind of weird left to say. It's all kind of been there, done that. Yeah, it's uh, to be uh, you know because I, I never really hold back and to piss off my own audience and everything else. I feel like. Metal does this weird thing where it kind of decouples mm -hmm. and then comes back every about 10 years. Sure, sure. And I think we're kind of metals in its hair metal movement right now. Mm -hmm. And that things have become incredibly polished, that it's not even controversial anymore to have like death metal style vocals and a pop accessible song. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of hit that mark when you see like, the big competition American Idol type of people starting to bite off of it. Yeah. That's when it's the, yeah, yeah. the movement is over. <laughs> and so you have like an incredibly poppy accessible version of metal. That's, that's yeah. the more prominent. And then you have the extreme versions of like technical death metal, where it's only a song in the loosest mm -hmm. type of connotation in that it's just these technical fests yeah, of yeah. extreme musicianship. And nobody's kind of putting it together right now. Sure. You know, it's it's like there there's no the police in metal right now where you have incredible mm -hmm. musicianship yeah. and great songs that people who don't give a damn about musicianship still want to listen to. Sure. It's mm -hmm. either a billion notes a second and all the guys that stand like this at shows are all there, or you've got a bunch of girls who really like your throat tattoos. It's you know, there's only one or the other. Yeah. And I think it's kind of having that thing where people are just starting to go. It's like I've seen this. Yeah. I remember when Backstreet Boys, or you know, came out with the leather jackets and they were oh. hanging tough or whatever. I didn't buy that one either. But you're not hanging tough. <laughs> you guys got it. The the one side of it has to get uglier, and the other side has to remember that people give a shit about songs, and kind of yeah. you know, yeah. come back together on it. And I think honestly, we're we're kind of seeing the human limitations of technique at this point. Like, how much faster can it get? It, it, it's like you're out of space. Even if you can play it, it's just going to start to sound like a hum yeah, yeah. at a certain point. And I love fast stuff. I love complicated stuff. Mm -hmm. But to me, the end challenge of turning it into a song that somebody cares about, that's the ultimate judo flip. Yeah. You know, you got to be able to do that. I mean, it still has to be, it has, still has to have some soul. It's got to have feeling. It's got to, yeah, it's got to. Can you relate to it beyond an algebra equation, you know? Yeah, well, and that was, you know, one of the things I got kind of hit for on my own channel. I said, flat out, metal got taken over by nerds. Yeah. It's, you know, a bunch of guys standing with incredibly tight body posture, you know, with their guitars hanging from their chin, like, you know, playing like this. And I'm just going, this is missing something. Uh, there was actually a, yeah. Uh, Nurgle, the leader from a band called Behemoth, mm -hmm. I felt like nailed it about five years ago, and he said metal lost its rock spirit. Yeah, and he mm. said that there's nothing. He goes, they don't come out and kick the door in and tell you, I don't care if you like it. You know, we're gonna just kick your ass. Yeah. Now it's very, is everybody feeling okay? You know, <laughs> it's like, ah, really? Are you ready to soft rock? Yes. <laughs> Are you I'm, trying to think of the, I'm trying to think of the band that my daughter's listening to. My daughter's listening to, um, let's see if I can find it on my phone. And I was really impressed, actually. And then uh, a, a French metal band, actually. Gojira? Uh, Gojira. Good, man. That's Good stuff. It. A newer around, band that I would say I like. 
Yeah. Around for a minute. They're great. Those guys do really interesting stuff. And I think they're a perfect example of it is that they do some strange timing type of things. Uh, But a lot of their stuff isn't really that difficult. But it, I mean, they, they're creatively really interesting. They can pound the I don't find them doing nerd math rock with like uh, Degen style, like the technical death metal. And I'm not crapping on that style. Mm-hmm. I, just, I, I agree with you. A lot of artists are doing that, but they were definitely, um, he, you know, they were definitely heavier than uh, like a cock rock thing too. Do you know what I mean? They were definitely, yeah. I found them in, in between. And then I looked at a picture. I'm like, oh, these guys look like they're, they're waiters at a, at a Manhattan restaurant, you know? So, um, <laughs> It was, it was kind of interesting. And my 10 year old daughter likes them. So absolutely. there's some hope and faith, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So one band that cracks me up that I'm not totally into them, but I, I actually, I think it's pretty funny is Necrogoblicon. I'm so I think it makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. And the goblin is funny as shit. And he has a talk show. <laughs> it, it, it's fantastic. It's really good. You know what I'm looking up when this podcast is done. <laughs> when it's done, I've got two monitors up. <laughs> go, John, go! It's hilarious. And I heard it. I think I was on Joe Rogan podcast with um, who's the guy, the guitar player, has all the tattoos. Uh, all over oh, that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> no, but he's got the uh, all of his face tattoos. Um, Malone, Post Malone. Oh, Post Malone. Yeah. And they okay. were asking him, "Who do you listen to?" He goes, "Man, there's this band, Necrogoblicon." I'm like, wait a second, I gotta check this out. It's it's comical. It seems like it's you know the, the guys know what they're doing. They know how to play, but it's definitely a screamo kind of thing. But I, I found humor in it. I actually thought it was like, okay, these guys are going for this gimmicky thing. It's actually pretty funny. I don't know. I are you eh, hip to them? Like them? Oh, no, I, I I love that type of stuff. Again, yeah. it's that's more what I look for in something. Is not even just in metal, but it's it's like, can you give me something that I can only get from you? Yeah. I, I mean, this goes back to business and success too. And you know, doing my channel or being a musician, yeah. it's I I feel like too many bands are following again that north star of something, and it's like what reason do I have to come to you if you're yeah. not giving me a flavor yeah. that I can get everywhere else? Yeah. So when somebody does something like that, you know, I absolutely love it. I might have overlooked them because I don't like the whole Mac Sabbath thing. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I love... I, I can't relate to that, you, you know? You watch the sit-down thing. It's like, he's like a talk show host and he talks to these people. He talks to the guitar player from um, Limp Biscuit and totally berates him and he talks to... <laughs> yeah, it's just funny. I'm like, okay, this is this is kind of cool. I mean, the Guar thing back in the day was kind of yeah. interesting. I mean, you know? Yes, but it was very lowbrow. Like, it was kind of lowbrow. This guy actually, when you hear, it's actually, it's funny. It's almost like Larry David as a goblin. Yeah, anyways. Guar used to play Boston once a month, once a, all, all the time. Yeah. Like, great. oh, okay, it's the third Friday in, uh, you know, April. Uh, Guar's here, you know? He'll be back in May. Yeah. The gimmick thing, you know. But, I love but... this type of thing. This is always interesting and telling to me, too, is like uh, when I can talk with people who I know like can appreciate metal to a certain degree, but they it isn't their central focus, like what do they wind up honing into? Yeah. You know, like his daughter with Gojira or you with uh, the Goblin. It's like it that tells me what 
yeah. you know, what stands out immediately. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's always kind of a, a fascinating thing and something I try and pay a lot of attention to as well, because if it stands out for somebody who's not necessarily a real heavy follower of the form, then that's something that needs to be paid more attention to in the form. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's what's breaking through all different boundaries and things, what's grabbing people's ears or their attention. You know? Yeah. Uh, that's, I think that's part of why I'm trying a lot of different bases and styles and things now is just looking for new sounds, trying fretless and things. Uh, I've, I've just picked up fretless again, so I'm still at horrifying intonation level. Uh, but instead of going to, uh, you know, someone like Steve DiGiorgio from Testament and Death or something like that who plays fretless, I've tried to go to other influences and see what I can pull from players. And I've been listening to like a lot of Patrick O'Hearn. Mm. Uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with him, but I am. Yeah. He uh, and I see I like guys like that who just go, I'm a musician. And I'm going to have a career so varied, like it, it gives you whiplash kind of yeah. looking at it. He, uh, he started uh, playing bass for Zappa. It was incredibly technically accomplished. I mean, you don't get that gig if you're half-assed. No, no. Mm -hmm. He went from that to playing in the 80s synth band, Missing Persons. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. And wow. he was only playing bass part-time and was playing keyboards most of the time. Man. Now he plays... The, this incredibly, like, I, I hate to say ambient because ambient has an almost dance music type of connotation, but very soundscape style music now that, I mean, some of those notes are so far apart, I feel like I should forward my mail in between them and stuff. It's just, <laughs> it, it makes Pink Floyd look like crackheads. <laughs> it's amazing. And he'll do these incredible fretless lines where there, there's no fat on the bone. You know, it's just every note. Is intention. I have not heard any of his stuff, but I'm familiar with them. I haven't heard the new stuff like him oh, doing that yeah, style of music. I, I found him, uh, I was working at PRS at the time, and I remember having one of those lightning moments wow. where I had heard him, his music coming out of a store, and I ran in and asked the guy, I'm like, what is that? That's cool. And I kind of tucked it away in my head, like, I got to hear some more of this. And then one of the guys that I knew in the Finnish department there, one of those weird synchronicities, like a week later, he had one of his CDs. And I said, can, can I check that out? And it was so loud in there, I used to put headphones on and you know, just like clamp them to my head to keep out the wood machines and just listen to audio books or whatever. I put that CD in and I just remember just standing there for a minute, like <laughs> it was just such a, a sonic environment. Like I was no longer at work. <laughs> I just, cool. I listened wow. to it over and over and over. And I went immediately after work and bought like five of his CDs wow. on the way home. And one of his CDs I listened to every night when I went to bed for at least a year and a half. Wow. It just, it's immortal. I mean, are, are you familiar with Mick Karn at all? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I found him to be kind of similar in some ways, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, it, uh, if anybody's going to get into it, I mean, go all the way back to O'Hearn's catalog. But for me, a formative one would be like Indigo. Okay. And then he has one fairly recent called Glaciation that he did with uh, some sit-ins from David Torn. And it's Patrick O'Hearn, did you say? Yeah. Patrick O'Hearn, okay. And yeah, just phenomenal music. Uh, if you're, 
if you want to hear closer to modern production, I'd say glaciation. But then, you know, like I said, uh, something like Indigo was just amazing. The first note on the first song of Indigo is where I just went. This just soundscape comes in, and I, I was blown away. So, uh, some of those jazz guys done some esoteric stuff, like Michael Shreve, who's played with Dave Toward a lot. You know, has mm -hmm. done some his his degree of like almost new agey music, and it's really good, actually. You know, some yeah, of it's really good. I would describe this more like that. It's it's not very jazz oriented music at all. It's it, he does, and I would say more orchestrated. That's it's cool. not hyper dissonant, that type of thing, but the note choices are really, uh, to me, they're just falling. I'm going to check them out. Yeah, yeah. I, I've tried taking, I've, I've used him as a lot of note study pieces. Like even when I'm playing fast, I'm sampling phrasings and things and uh, note and chord changes that he would use uh, because they're just, yeah, they just have like a, uh, I would say mildly melancholic, but not dissonant flavor to them that just really appeals to me. That's like McCarn too. McCarn's the same way, you know, just kind of really slow, mellow, minor patterns that were just very tasteful, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oof. And especially for fretless, you know, being able to to really have to sit on a note. Yeah. And make it work, you know, no chorus, no other crap, just really laying on it. You got to be accurate. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Then you are, otherwise you sound like a, you know, yeah. That's, that's when like I want to just slap the piss out of him. He'll do some stuff where he's playing one fretless line of like long held octaves and then playing the lead lines over top of himself. Every note dead on. I'm just, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> just want to kick one thing you don't hear at Nam a lot of fretless players you know what I mean yeah because you can't slap on it exactly <laughs> you can but nobody wants to hear that like no no it's I, I call it the uh we used uh my joke used to be there's guitar hall drum hall popcorn hall there's just you go into it it just sounds like a popcorn machine and yeah. a shaker <laughs> what, I did my best to not slap for the last two years at Nam. <laughs> Right. I tried too, but there were too many guys that needed it. Too much. <laughs> what um what what was your early early metal like? What band went like? Oh shit, that's the um, shit I dig. Let's see, well, I mean, I think it's probably for everybody out of my generation. But I had two older brothers, and it would be Sabbath hearing Iron Man the first time. Right. I just went, what? What the fuck is that? It's awesome. Exactly. War pigs, you hear that? You're like, yep. Uh, hearing the first Van Halen record messed me up. It was, thankfully, uh, you know, having that, uh, having two older brothers, I got into music and understood it really early. Sure. So it, it kind of destroyed my life path and left me broke pretty much from the word go. But you know, <laughs> at seven years old, I'm walking around, you know, with we sold our soul for rock and roll, and you know, the first Van Halen out. Like this is what I was yeah. listening to at that point. That's cool. uh, but it even shaped me, you know, bass wise and what brought me those choices for those type of things is I was always exposed for some reason to bands where it seemed like it was a single guitar player and bass player yeah. kind of thing. So I was never that person that for a while had to go, what's that other guy playing? Yeah, what's, yeah. I don't hear him. What's that going on? I, I heard Geezer Butler and, you know, Antonio. 
just hearing the intro to Running with the Devil. It's one note, but you just go like, Dude. that guy does something different. What What is that thing? Uh, I would say probably the one that tipped me over. I mean, you can always point to the classic, like Steve Harris and Getty Lee. When I first heard Rush too, I was just yeah. like, that guitar sounds meaner. What is that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think the, the thing that drove me really to bass at the end over anything, uh, because it was always that thing, bass or guitar, bass or guitar, sure. would be uh, Bob Daisley from the first Ozzy albums. Mm. Uh, yeah. I worship the ground that man walks on. That's cool. Nice. Uh, just yeah i mean there's he's the only pick player who's ever fooled me with his sound hmm. i i had no idea he was not a finger style player yeah uh even for years after i played him i used to listen to his bass lines before i even played bass i like just zoned in on it and was you know constantly listening to what he did and to me he's he's kind of the perfect rock and metal player and that he can do things that are surprisingly wrist-breaking if you if if you really have to sit down and play them songs like i don't know and sato and things like that he's just yeah. flying up and down the neck the constant octave work is something i take all the time as he would to stay out of the harmonies way just bopping octaves back and forth but very in a back and forth incredibly tight always dead on but still in the pocket uh so yeah we're Blizzard of Oz, Bark at the Moon? Those uh, he's on a lot more albums. To me, and this is where I kind of can okay. piss off a few people, too. Yeah. To me, he actually... Do it, do it! Yeah, he actually is Ozzy. Uh, he okay. used to write the lyrics. He was the four, He was the chief songwriter of the first albums. Ah, okay. He established who that was, and he's on later albums that people don't realize. No More Tears is him. Uh, no rest for the wicked is him. Ultimate sin was him. I mean, like he, they, this gets into a lot of stuff with you know, obviously unscrupulous people in the Aussie camp. But he would constantly be held to the point where he wasn't making a lot of money, and then brought back in to make money, and then screw him over again. Then to be able to survive in between, you literally have to work for the person you're suing, and. Uh, yeah, I, I, like probably one of the, the big moments of my bass life was uh, I was I was doing uh, instructional videos for our company for a little while uh, back when we had VHS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to do one covering his style because we did a lot of in the style of type of things. Sure. And just Hail Mary Pass, I emailed his management and said, hey, you know, I, I'd like I want to do a series on Bob and I, you know, would love to just get a few insights or a couple of things if he wouldn't mind if I asked him or passed on a few questions. I get an email back about an hour later and they said, Bob's going to call you, send your number. Uh, once I was able to climb over the cloud of feces and then I'd come out of it, get there, this guy called me from Australia and talked to me for two and a half hours. Wow. And I, I'm just sitting here on the phone, like literally levitating, like around my room. <laughs> and he couldn't have been nicer or more generous or anything else. And I just, you know, it, I had to keep restraining myself. I'm just going like, you're the reason I'm who I am, man. <laughs> like, I love you, man. <laughs> I used to have a radio that only had like one speaker 
left in it because the other was blown with a cassette in it and I used to hide it under my pillow and put my ear down on it so I could listen to it at night and my father would know I was still listening to bands when I was supposed to be in bed. Oh. I listened to your songs. You know, uh, but yeah, getting to talk to him and getting insights into it and uh, that was, it was definitely a high point for him to be as cool as he was. And he was like, nah, he goes, you know my style. He goes, I've talked to a few people who, you know, wanted to do something and I'm not a real public guy like that. And he goes, but you get it. So did it come to fruition? Like REH, DCI, uh, what was the start? No, like? and that was due to the same people who were not being nice to him. Oh, mm. Yeah, that, that got shut down, which that's actually going to reappear on my channel, which I have to be a little cautious of. About. Got it. But, uh, because I can't play any examples or I will get a takedown. That's what I was. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm going to have to perform everything myself in broken up snippets without the background music. Like in mm -hmm. the style of, you can't really, you have to just be careful with. Oh, I can say it, but the algorithm won't talk. The algorithm won't catch it unless it closely enough matches the original recording. So I'll play it at a slightly different tempo, break it up into pieces, and I'm not going to have the guitar parts over it. Wow, man! Well, you could do everything one string lower. Now you could. You could do all the guitar parts on the seven string, right? I'll, I'll play it on a five. I'll go to a certain thing. I'm not going to mangle the man's yeah. music yeah, either. Yeah. If it right. doesn't work, then I'll just make a video that goes, "Hey, want to see this? I'm on three other platforms. Go over there." There you go. Mm -hmm. Did um, what was the video company? Was it one of the like DCI REH? Was it one of those? Oh, uh, they were called. They were based out of the valley. They were called MVP. Okay. Yeah, I had a couple of videos through them, and uh, yeah, they basically just after that one decided, okay, we've been messed with enough, I guess, and they just literally folded and disappeared in the middle of the night. Oh man! To avoid all the lawsuits, crap, and stuff. That sucks. Oh, gross. Yeah. Oh, man. So, uh, gross. But I've always had it in the back of the, in my head, and yeah, I would even players that you know, students that I talk to now and stuff. It's kind of funny. They'll go. I feel like I've got some technical ability, but I and that's kind of one of my complaints about metal bass playing right now is it seems very guitar oriented that even when the bass isn't playing the guitar part it sounds like a guitar part just okay. a different one yeah, yeah. and the guys will go like when and one of the my best compliments i guess i would have to take that i've gotten from the channel about my stuff is they go when i hear you you sound like you're playing something different that makes sense with it and it doesn't sound guitar like yeah. And I would, and you know, I try and explain to them that you know you you have to lean away from the guitars and listen more to the drums and become an integrating piece there. And I always point right back to him. I'm like, study the first two Ozzy albums, even if this is old man metal to you or whatever it is. These are the things that I mean. You're, he's playing underneath some of the most legendary guitar players ever. You know, you've got. Randy Rhodes and Jakey e. Lee yeah. and Zach Wilde. This guy still stands out without playing a single thing that they're playing. He never follows a riff. Yeah. Understand why he can do that. And that's your Yoda moment, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it's just phenomenal. So uh, there's a lot of inspiration to be had there. Was that? Cool. And uh, yeah, I think it's that would be my earliest things to do a long, drawn out thing was whenever I. I had that standout moment from a bassist mm -hmm. with a legendary guitar player. And I realized this guy holds up 
with him. Yeah. Uh, cool. the, the other moment that kind of kind of knocked me back a bit was just hearing Unchained from Van, Van Halen the first Dude. time. You've got Eddie Van Halen playing one of the proto-metal riffs in history, this down-tuned, amazing, you know, arena rock kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. As he's going through, the drums swell up, that bass hits and plays one note and blows Eddie like off to the other side of the mix. All you hear at that point is that thump, 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 thump. And I went, oh, that guy just wrecked Eddie Van Halen. How the hell did that happen? I want to be that guy. I want, a guy that, I want to be the guy that comes in and plays one note and wrecks a guitar yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my jam there. That's a great riff, man. So good. Yeah. He's the unsung hero. Doesn't get enough credit. Absolutely. Michael Anthony. You know? yep. Michael Anthony. Yeah. yeah, Michael Anthony's unsung unsung hero, and he's a killer, fabulous vocalist too, man. The guy yeah, can sing. Yeah. Singing those high parts, that was all him, right? Those super. Yeah, all yeah. them. Yeah. You get a chance. There's a video of them from the whiskey in okay. the really early days doing uh, on fire. Oh. And you can clearly hear the separation of Michael Anthony, and it's like I can see his mouth moving, wow. and then my cat going batshit, but I can't hear the actual note. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I love his bass line on This Is Love. So this is love. Oh, yeah. Fair warning album. Another bass oh, master class and how to handle. I mean, the first time I heard harmonics on bass. Yeah. It was in yeah. dirty movies, in yeah, the yeah, breakdown yeah. sections and in the intro, him doing the kind of harmonic chords and things. I I I, I knew it was the bass, but I didn't understand what was going yeah. on. Yeah, he he definitely that band was those guys. That was it, and it just made so much sense, and it was so fucking good. Yeah, so there's good. no doubt about it. So, yeah. you know, those would be kind of the formative and things, and then, you know, you get, as you move and your taste change and things, you know, you get new heroes along the yeah. way. I, of course, went through the big Getty stage, as I think everybody does. and Everybody our age, I think, did, you oh, know? Yeah. yeah. I'm glad to see even new guys. You know, that, that's been really kind of a cool thing that one thing I'll give this generation of players that I think is very cool, at least a section of them, is that, you know, when I came up, there was a lot of like, you know, you didn't do what your parents did. You know, there was this thing of, you know, oh, well, that's older than eight seconds, so I can't appreciate it. And there's a lot of that now. Yeah. But I see a lot of younger metal players that I'll turn them on to this stuff yeah. or they'll hear it. And, you know, I'll have guys coming in and go, how the hell does that part work in the middle of free will? Yeah. Like, he's doing it like, yeah. why does it sound like chords and stuff, but it, there's not chords? And I'm like, oh, he's outlining a chord progression, but he's riffing all the way through it. You know, like, I want to learn how to do that. That's awesome. So, that, you know, they're, they're realizing that there's something that got sidelined along the way that they, they have appreciation for. So that's been really cool. That's cool. Being able to see that, it's really encouraging to me. And uh, yeah, there's there's new players out there that are really doing interesting stuff, I think. Uh, but that's you know kind of part of the problem with music now too is that there's just so much out there, just hearing through the noise. You know, now that we don't really have labels in a conventional sense, as much as it was horrible to have gatekeepers, but at least gatekeepers, you know, brought things down to you could kind of get around and and find some stuff. Now it's just this fire hose of anybody who can fake playing guitar for six seconds can put out an album and blast you with it. And it's hard to find who the real cats are, you know? 
the you know it's a tough time to just step out it really is people are like oh we can put out you know, the technology we can put everything out there mm-hmm. yeah i i'm old enough to know what it was like on the other end and yeah, yeah it was wasn't as bad as everyone makes it out to be you know? well, it wasn't great but it was a different kind of suck <laughs> and it was a different kind of suck you know <laughs> Hey, before we wrap up with other socials and get into all this stuff, mm-hmm. we have a few questions. I think Steve's looking at the board for the questions. I can tell what you're doing, Mr. Araho. I have a board. I, I, want, me, want me to ask them all? Or, uh... No, John needs to ask a question. John has a board, too. John has it right there. Dude, you have the board? board? No. You have the board? John, I was trying to make you look like you had it together. Not you that you would play with me on this, like, uh, Blade Just Runner. because I have the, uh, you know, the collegiate... Uh, yeah vest doesn't mean I have any sort of planning or things put together. Right? I do remember one. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. Steve's going to show you the board. I gave you too much credit. I, I remember one. So. <laughs> no, I'm not going to show you the board. I am actually... All right, I'm going to wait for Steve. So, Rodney, yes. live or dead, who would you like to share a meal with? Wow. Ooh. Oh, wow. Go ahead. Talk amongst yourselves. Nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> I got to go get mine now. I know. That's why I'm doing it. Do you have it? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm missing a joke here somewhere. Well, yeah. <laughs> Tony's going to go get his. Okay. It's because. I would dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. The meal. Sorry, the meal. The meal with. Yes. Yep. I'm gonna, I would probably have to go with Leonardo da Vinci. Nice. I like it. I mean, as someone who could talk on every matter of intellectual and artistic endeavor. Mine's supposed to be a Christmas gift, so I'm not supposed to open this up. Oh, well then by all means, do that. But I I bought it. (laughs) Rodney, um, Tony's gone, you know, full force with uh, cycling, and I've been a cyclist like my life and everything. So this is for Tony. I put this on. <laughs> I figure it's usually dealing with Tony. You need to wear a helmet. I do in my. <laughs> I'm ready. Because <laughs> us bass players, you know, we got to We always have to wear our helmets just in case. Um. Okay. So Tony, uh, Rodney said that Leonardo da Vinci would be the person that he would choose to have a meal with. Pretty cool. I like it. That makes total sense. Yeah. All right, so you want me to ask the next one? Yes, please. All right, Rodney, living or dead, who would you like to study with? Ooh. Have studied with. It could be living or dead. Obviously, we're talking music, so yeah, mm. have a lesson with, study with, pick their brain. <laughs> the, the reason that one's tough is because I feel like I'm such a psycho that I've analyzed most of my favorite players so to death that I, I think I've kind of pulled them apart. Not that I can do what they do, but I understand it. Uh, hmm. I would probably go after more someone whose craft or orchestration would okay. be. Uh, Wow, it's a tough. I'd have to go after Beethoven. Beethoven. Nice. 
I feel like he was, he kind of had a rock and roll attitude about incredible composition. And when you have, you know, somebody who values mm -hmm. out over flawless performance, sure. even in his era. Wow. Kind of like that. And I read a couple of biographies from him and I like his habits and the way he did sure. things like he, taking long walks and writing and just thinking. And he would just go for hours and hours and come home. And I do the same thing myself. I go for long walks and just constantly voice record my thoughts while I go. Uh, I, I feel like it's uh, a mental kinship, not anything comparable, but just a, yeah. I, I get it, you know, that, that need to just kind of go way inside there and be away from things. So, yeah, it would have to be uh, Beethoven, I guess. All right, cool. Uh, you know, Rodney, too, just real quick before the last one. I always argued with people that I felt like Beethoven and Mozart, those guys were really just one distortion pedal away from um, creating metal way before it was. Oh, yeah. And then Bach was death metal before yeah. it was, basically. Or you could even look at it as uh, you have Mozart and Beethoven. It's like Lennon and McCartney. You've got the happier dude and the, the more bummer dude. And, yeah, right. Uh, they could have joined the same band and eventually collapse over a howling woman. So <laughs> that's cool. Nice. All right. Wow. I like that. Tony tapped out on the uh, helmet wearing. Um, I did tap out on uh, out of the helmet wearing. Yeah, I because it may get dangerous. Make it dangerous. Uh, Rodney, last question: Living or dead, musician that you would have liked to jam with? Ooh. I don't know if I could nail that down to one. That'd be too tough because of. Yeah. What's the first one that comes to your mind then? Yeah, there you go. Uh, I would. Drummers, it would be a tie between uh, living Mickey D. Okay. Uh, played for King Diamond and now for Motorhead. And he has probably the best metal swing I've ever heard. Hmm. Okay. He can take a real pocket feel swing and do it at an incredible tempo. Wow. And some of the most innovative drum lines I've ever heard in metal came out of him early on. Uh, and the other would it would have to be Neil Peart. It's just, he was formative for me. So, you know, I think more, and I'll, I have a very short story on that one I'll hit you with where I got to be an idiot with the other guy I'll name. Uh, I would probably... Again, I, I'd want to step out of something I did without going too far, and I would have to go Alex Leibson. Nice. Mm. Uh, because he uses texture a lot more yeah. than most guitar players I've ever played with. That's cool. And he paints a bit more with guitar, these huge chiming parts. I think the way he formulates his chords is really undercredited. Uh, he does inversions and things you can tell he's had to think it out to be able to fill space around Getty's really movement-oriented parts and things. And uh, yeah, he, he just, he's done, again, a lot of formative lines, but to me, he's a fantastic balance of emotion in, and innovation. You know, like he's a very get into the details, technical type of person, massive, you know, rigs he used to sure. uh, play with and everything but he's an intuitive player. Uh, one of my top three guitar solos of all time 
is his solo on La Villa Strangiato from Exit Stage Left. To me, it is the perfect solo. It yeah. starts slowly, builds to a, it's like a symphonic piece, builds to a climax, then lands and slowly takes you back into the song. I'm like, that, that wasn't a solo. That was that's a, that's a, a composition. So good. Yeah. That solo is so good. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And uh, he, cool. I don't think, I, it's one of the rare times too when you hear something on a live recording that just destroys the, the, the original album. Like he just, given his moment to completely put himself into the instrument rather than trying to get that take, he just showed himself at just an incredible level of, uh, of just beauty in his note choice. I love it. That's awesome. So, be that. I think I've lost uh, audio on Steve there. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? One, oh, two, I can three. now. There yeah. we go. All right. It was the helmet. Sorry. I apologize. Yes. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Great. That's, I love it, man. That, well, we haven't heard those people mentioned. Yeah, I love yet. it. That's so perfect. that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Ronnie, where can everyone find you? Uh, they can find me uh, in here almost all the time. But, all right. Uh, the sex room. Yeah. In the Amsterdam sex room. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We're going to put your address down there. People can just stop by anytime. Just check out your place. Oh, please do. Yeah, yeah welcome to the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> uh, but uh, just Rodney McGee on YouTube. Okay. And uh, also RodneyMcGee.com. I like to keep things simple. Also, the, uh, the same thing on Facebook. It's one, one advantage of a uh, simple moniker is it's easy to search for. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll put the links uh, under your face there and I'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have all that stuff there so people can. can I appreciate that. You. Yeah, man, of course. Yeah. So if we're, we're going to all stay on and say goodbye, but we're going to all stay on and, and talk, uh, talk shit for a second. Yes. We right. say goodbye. Without helmets, with no helmets. Yeah. Men without helmets. Men without helmets. It's our Slipweight Revival Band. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan McGee, thank you for joining the Big Bottom crew. Um, like Tony said, we're signing off for public, but we're staying on to talk shit. So, thank you for being here, and we're saying bye. Bye, everybody. Thank bye, you, everybody. Bye.